then look at everything that you're doing throughout the course of a day and just see if your mission statement applies to what you're doing and what you're working on and what you're spending time on. And again, we've really been encouraged to kind of look inward and we've found that it's already paying dividends. Welcome to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast featuring conversations with leaders of the energy transition, hosted by Smart Energy Decisions founder, John Fiella. In each episode of Smart Energy Voices, John digs deep with industry movers and shakers to reveal insights you can learn from in their stories, personalities, and visions for the future. All right, let's dive in. Hi, everyone. I'm John Fiella, and welcome to Smart Energy Voices. In today's episode, we'll be taking a close look at the concept of doing well by doing good and creating a purpose-driven organization with one of the world's foremost experts on the topic, Jeff Fromm, millennial and Gen X marketing expert and author of four books, including The Purpose Advantage. Joining Jeff today is David Smart, Senior Vice President of Sales and Marketing at Biostar Renewables. Our conversation will cover the principles in Jeff's book, The Purpose Advantage, and explore how Biostar Renewables is applying those principles in their journey. You can read more about Jeff and David's background and experience in the show notes for this episode. So let's start by having each of you tell us a little bit about yourselves. And Jeff, let's start with you. Briefly, tell us about yourself and what led you to write The Purpose Advantage. Well, John, thanks for having me. It's it's a bit of a long story. In 2010, I failed at Google search more than anyone you know. And I kept trying to find information on millennials as consumers or Gen Y, and I'd look all kinds of different ways. And the more I looked, the more I failed. And I drew the conclusion either that the topic was irrelevant or I didn't know how to use Google search. Called a friend of a friend of a friend, and she was the global head of research for the Boston Consulting Group. And I said, I've got this great idea. How about we study millennials? And oh, by the way, I don't have the money to do this by myself. Would you pay for half of it? She took a deep breath. There was a long pregnant pause, awkward pause. She said, you know, Jeff, the Boston Consulting Group is not in the business of funding other people's research. I said, I knew that. And she said, so you're telling me if I go to search on Google, I'm not going to find anything of value on millennials as consumers. And I'm like, that is what I'm telling you. She said, I'll get back to you. Now, I'll get back to you is code, John, and it's code for I'll never get back to you. She said, I'll call you in a week. She called a week later. She said, my team has looked. We agree there is no valuable information to be found on Google on this topic. We will do the study with you and we will pay for half of our fair share of the cost of said study. And one thing led to another and I wrote my first book on basically that research and the other work I did after that research called Marketing to Millennials. And then I've been fortunate to be able to keep doing research. And One thing led to another in this topic of Purpose and sustainability keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And in fact, right now we're having a huge conversation on racial inequality inside a health crisis. That's how I ended up deciding that rather than do a fourth book on generations, I should do something on purpose and sustainability. A long answer to a short question. Well, no, that but it's it's an important question and, and a good answer. We're looking forward to getting into this in much more detail during the conversation. Welcome and thanks for being here. My pleasure. David, tell us about what attracted Biostar Renewables to uh, Jeff's work and why is being a purpose-driven company important to Biostar? Sure. Thank you, John, for having me on today and 
Happy to be on here with friend and colleague Jeff Fromm, who I've followed Jeff's work for several years now and always found the Marketing to Millennials and Marketing to Gen Z books really fascinating. But naturally, his most recent book about purpose and companies who use that purpose advantage really attracted our attention, particularly and initially just because those are the types of companies that we want to partner with. Those are the types of companies that we think are interested in our waste energy technology, renewable energy technology, whatever it may be. What's really interesting about that is that I didn't expect to go on sort of the journey for our soul at Biostar. And Jeff's really challenged us to look inward. And while there's natural connections to be made between sustainability and energy efficiency and renewable energy. It's been a really fun process to use Jeff's book as a framework to go back and really apply this to our business internally and and see how that's changed our processes. So it's certainly a work in progress, I wouldn't say, or I think it's sort of a journey, but we're really excited to be on that journey and really appreciate being able to have firsthand guidance from the author. Well, it's clear that more and more people feel kind of purpose is increasingly important in their their lives. And I I admire the fact that Biostar Renewables is committed to making purpose central to their their culture. Jeff, let's talk in a little more detail about the purpose-driven advantage and really get at your take on the topic. How did you become the leading expert in youth marketing for starters? Well, as I mentioned, I did this first public study of millennials in 2010 with the Boston Consulting Group. And since then, my team at Barclay, we've done studies frequently on trends with consumers. The first three books I wrote were on millennials and Gen Z. So I think it was a combination of separating myth from fact. I mean, everyone's heard all these things like millennials are all broke and unemployed, living in their parents' basements among a collection of participation trophies they've never freaking earned. Like, okay, That's interesting. First of all, it's not true. Second of all, it's not an effective way to win over a large cohort of consumers who are going to affect your business. And third, you know, if if we want to talk about the fastest growing group of people making $100,000 or more, we can talk about millennials. We did a lot of work to separate myths from fact. And then I turned it into not only the books, but I gave talks everywhere in the world except Antarctica. I haven't been there. So if if you've got anyone looking, I'd like to still check that off the list. (laughs) In fact, I started my year this year talking about Gen Z in Hong Kong in early January. So what I've tried to do is codify some of these trends. Generations are not homogenous cohorts and and the myths about generations can can sink your brand. Then rather than do a fourth book on generations, that's when I started to look at the research and noticed how important purpose and sustainability is. And what I would tell you, John, at the risk of some oversimplification, if you're only purpose and sustainable and you're really good at that, you're going to fail. And if you're only good at something else without having a purpose and sustainability infused into your brand strategy and business strategy, you're not going to have the highest possible financial outcomes. And so it's usually a plus one kind of thing. So Ben and Jerry's, if it doesn't taste amazing, I'm not eating it. And if it doesn't have the sustainability ethos, they're not going to be a top tier brand. They're going to be a mid tier brand. And these brands understand that it's usually a two factor identification kind of thing. And it might not be innovation and sustainability, it might be something else, but it requires that you do a couple things really well. Yeah. This topic we saw in the research, and consumers are willing to pay a small premium 
for brands that win their hearts. Yeah. At a fundamental level, how would you define purpose? Sure. In the book, I talk about a purpose advantage. What I say is there are three criteria to have a purpose advantage. You have to have functional benefits, emotional benefits, and societal benefits. And for larger brands, societal benefits would ladder to the 17 UN Sustainable Development Goals that are globally accepted. For a smaller brand, you could have a local kind of thing you're focused on that's not inside of that UN framework. But there's a fourth ingredient that's crucial, and that's using purpose metaphorically as a verb. So it's not what you say, it's actions. And what we see is companies taking actions, humanize their brand, they win with their internal audience, and they win with external stakeholders. And it's winning with both that matters. And if we look at those high growth brands, whether we're talking about Microsoft or Apple or Facebook or any number of these high growth brands, they have to win their internal audience and their external audience over. And purpose and sustainability is a piece of that puzzle. And there's a lot of conversation on net zero and things like that that David could talk to you about. But structurally, it's those criteria. Okay. You've defined purpose. You've talked about its key elements. I'd like this notion of using it as a verb and not a noun. Can you give us some specific examples of companies that have clarified their purpose and seen a positive shift in their results after becoming a purpose-driven enterprise? Yeah, I'd love to give you a couple. First of all, does the world need another pizza restaurant? Well, the answer is this is America. Of course we do. But, uh, <laughs> but it's a mature category, right? And in the opening to the book, and I'm happy to give all your listeners a free electronic copy of the book. We'll put that in the show notes. In the opening of the book, I interview an executive from Mod Pizza. Now, this pizza chain is not as well known as Pizza Hut or Domino's, but they're the highest growth QSR fast casual brand for the last couple of years. And it's not because they have unique pepperoni or sauce that nobody else could make. It's because they have a purpose advantage. They hire people who need a second chance, someone who might have been incarcerated, someone who might have been out of work for a long period of time. And they screen them and they train them. And so if you think about operating a restaurant, they have employees who are more loyal, who are better trained, who stick around longer, who give better guest experiences. So there's lower cost of rehiring, lower cost of retraining, higher guest satisfaction. And so you build an ecosystem that works. If I could contrast that, Patagonia grew very rapidly as a purpose-driven brand. And they walked away from their purpose. They originally were do no harm. If you were to summarize their strategy, Patagonia built a billion-dollar business on do no harm. And in today's age, they said, that's not enough. We have planet on fire and too much fossil fuel being burned, et cetera, et cetera. And instead of do no harm, we're now protect and defend. So here's a top 1% purpose sustainability kind of brand, walking away from an old strategy, reimagining their business on a new strategy. And I could share other examples if you'd like, but but the point is, whatever path you take, it's the actions that your employees and consumers see that becomes so important. And, and I would argue Nike is a brand that we would all know that has embraced purpose. And sometimes they get attacked for it, but over the long haul, they've built a very large enterprise by focusing on that. And we see it in the B2B side of things too, like with Microsoft, for example, a very sustainable focused, purpose-driven kind of organization that's grown rapidly. Not a sexy company like Nike, but the same basic tenets. And there's a lot of conversation about the planet on fire. A lot of those sustainable development goals are related to that topic. And and that's what creates opportunities for brands like, like David's. 
Yeah. So it's interesting. You wouldn't think of pizza as an example of where that applies. So it, it really gives you a sense that it could apply to almost any industry sector. So we've got listeners who are engaged in businesses or running businesses, and, and they're probably wondering what level of detail is necessary to define your purpose as a company? Is it enough to simply say our purpose is to help our customers? What level of detail should people really be thinking about getting to? Yeah, I I don't think that would be sufficient to create a high growth, high powered kind of brand. And in the book, I actually outline a one day workshop that we offer. So the free book to your listeners and in there is a workshop. And in the workshop, I argue, you have to create a Venn diagram. What's true about your business? And a lot of times a company has an origin story and they don't even know it. I was doing a project recently with a company that said they were founded 30 years ago. And if you look back, they were actually about 125 years old and they had merged with another company and their origin story had been lost. And so you want to understand if there's an origin story. And if there is, you want to, you want to probably try to look at how, how that original founder who may be deceased at this point started. But then whether there is or isn't a good origin story or not, you want to say, what's true about this business? What do we believe in deeply to be true? And what, what, what are we not willing to sacrifice? If I were to give you an example, Seventh Generation is a super high growth brand. But if I told you I was in the detergent aisle and I couldn't remember what brand was orange, could you remind me what detergent brand is orange? And you would answer probably with? Tide. Tide. And guess what? It's the most one of the most recognized brands on the planet. And yet Seventh Generation pre-COVID was just kicking their pants and they're not nearly as well recognized. But Seventh Generation didn't come around with Seventh Generation pods. Now, did they have them in development? Yes. Would a risk assessment say they should and probably have done it? Probably yes, because you can pay out claims of X million dollars and generate 10X in profits. That's a go decision for most companies, which would explain why P&G would introduce something that looks like candy that kids could chew on and, and get sick and or die. There's a brand that probably doesn't have as clear a purpose as it needs to. That level of clarity helps propel these high growth brands. And and there's no easy answer, but the Venn diagram is what does the world need and what are you really good at? And then you start to peel the onion back and you build out your Venn diagram for your business. And I talk about that in the book. And then that's what you rally around, whether you're a real small company or a real big company. And truthfully, many of the big companies of tomorrow, which we're already seeing right now, are the small companies of today. I had an interview last week, and I'll, and I'll pause after this, with the founder of, of Bomba Socks, okay? Now, this is a company that's growing 100% year over year, and they sell socks, which socks is not a sexy category for most people. And they get a significant price premium for their product. So they've taken innovation and sustainability and married them together. They have a product that once you put it on, it's like, wow, I don't want my cheap socks anymore. And they have a really strong sustainability strategy, and they've married it. They're still a small company compared to the the bigs, but in terms of growth trajectory, they're on fire. Yeah, that's a great story. And this was a wonderful deep dive into what being a purpose-driven organization really means. And thanks so much for offering all the listeners a free copy of the book. I enjoyed it. I recommend it. I think it's very generous of you to extend that offer to our listeners. So, So thank you, Jeff. My pleasure. David, let's move on and talk about the relationship that Biostar has with with Jeff. Why was it important for the company to establish relationship with him and 
How has it helped to clarify Biostar Renewables' purpose? Absolutely. Well, like I mentioned before, the natural tie was these companies that that Jeff is doing work with are super interesting to us, and we feel are really good customers for us. But as far as Biostar's purpose goes, it's really been a fun journey from the standpoint of how do we take our purpose, which is to create a more sustainable earth, sort of similar to Seventh Generation's purpose statement. I think, Jeff, correct me if I'm wrong, theirs is Seventh Generation comes from having a sustainable planet for the next seven generations. And that's sort of how we think at Biostar. So we know that there are a finite amount of certain resources, and we want to be the explorers who not only help companies adopt renewable technologies that we already know about and that are already quite prevalent, but also really be on the leading edge of new technologies that further enhance technology like solar. So you can imagine, I'm thinking battery storage, things like that. Internally, though, our purpose, we really think about every time that we look at a project, what is the purpose? And Jeff's really challenged us to do that. And so we have some conditions precedent in our business that have to be there in order for us to believe that a customer is or an opportunity is worth pursuing and spending time on. And Jeff's really encouraged us to add purpose as that last CP and really talk about what is the purpose of the project and does that fit with what we're trying to do. And so really just challenging us to look back at our purpose statement and our sustainability statements and think that way in everything that we do in our business. Yes. So rather than purely being volume and revenue driven, you're really looking for project opportunities that align with your purpose that have some some deeper meaning. Yeah, absolutely. And we're very fortunate at Biostar. A lot of the similarities between our our various platforms are financing. And we're very fortunate to have some really good relationships with banks and and lenders and insurance companies who bring us deals to look at. And, And so that's been, we're very fortunate to have deal flow from that standpoint. But at the same time, a lot of these projects are very complex and they're multiple year projects. And so we have to be selective about how we allocate our time. So adding that extra layer of does this meet and fit in with our purpose and sustainability? Frankly, it saved us a lot of time. I think it's we've identified early or earlier than we might that, you know what, maybe this project isn't exactly the right fit for us and we can pass and, and use our resources more strategically and better. It makes sense to me. Jeff, so Biostar is in the renewable energy and energy efficiency space. Many of the companies that are have people listening on the call are, are in that space. Do you see any unique opportunities for companies to use their commitment to energy efficiency and renewable energy to explore and define their purpose? Renewable energy and energy is a very important topic, both here and abroad. And the 17 UN development goals extend beyond the topic of energy. But if there was one topic that's probably the the biggest topic across those SDGs, it's energy, right? And so when we're working with brands, many of them are looking at issues like repairing the earth, reducing global warming, things like this, because they know that their employees and their consumers 
expected. In some cases, it's price of admission. In some cases, it's differentiating. And, and different companies look at this through a different lens. Some look at it as a way to accelerate my brand growth, and some look at it like I have to do this in order to remain competitive. Whatever their motivations, I can't always discern, but usually I get there quickly. But the category, the energy category and the related adjacencies around solar and things like this should have a very bright future because we live in an era where discerning consumers have big expectations of brands. And so... I think we'll see this more and more. I also think we have some interesting tailwinds supporting distrust of government, both sides of the aisle, and frankly, lack of adoption of organized religion of any varietal by young people creates opportunities for brands to get a point of view on a topic. And in some cases, those topics are energy related and create business strategy and business momentum because people are fed up. And they're looking for companies to fulfill roles on on big topics now, topics that aren't getting addressed. Interesting. So whereas people at times would kind of define themselves based on the kind of car they drive or the neighborhood they live in, you're saying that that notion is really expanding to where people are now beginning to define themselves by the purpose of the company's that make the products they use and consume. Yeah. I mean, there's clearly a segment of consumers who's going to buy on low price and they're brands that are going to compete on low price. And if your goal is to compete on low price and serve consumers who buy on low price, that's going to limit the importance of some of this. Okay. Having said that, there's a large number of discerning consumers who'll pay a small premium. And I'm not talking Starbucks coffee premium here because that's a big, <laughs> I drink my coffee at home. And that costs 30 cents or something. When David was referencing seventh generation, it's a dollar more for a bottle on shelf. And the reality is when the price difference is small and the availability is roughly the same, then I'm going to pick the brand that's values aligned to mine. And obviously, if you can win on taste or price or speed or something else and sustain it, that's great. That's why I think the two-factor thing matters. I think the purpose and sustainability piece is a major piece but you got to do it with other things. You got to have a holistic competitive business strategy. And I think this is an accelerating topic for people in the energy space. So I think this conversation's becoming bigger and bigger, which is going to create more and more opportunities for people who embrace the trends that I'm describing. Sure. David, you wanted to add something. Yeah. And I just to piggyback on that, we're seeing that right now in the renewable energy space with brands and, and customers that we work with, where it used to be project doesn't have the right returns, kick it out. We need a two-year payback. Well, maybe we can do a four-year payback or, well, maybe, you know, it's solar. It's a long-term asset. It's a 25-year asset. Maybe, maybe a seven-year payback is okay. Now, with the ability to finance renewable energy projects and bringing low-cost quality financing, we're seeing where companies will say, as long as it's cost neutral or perhaps even a little bit of a premium on the price of the power, we will buy the renewable power every time. And so the return metrics have really softened with respect to the renewable energy space. And I think a large bit of that, if not the vast majority, has to do with like it or not, 
the consumer is discerning and, and brands are starting to focus on, we really do need to do the right thing. We really do need to focus on sustainability. And sustainability means something different to every company. And that, that's one thing that I think is really fascinating about my job. And I, I love talking about with, with my customers is what does sustainability mean to you? And what does being a sustainable business really mean for you? And, and when you ask questions like that, you learn a lot. Fascinating topic. And there's clearly a sea change taking place. And David, it's, it's interesting to see Biostar Renewables out front. But David, you are a business, right? You're not a nonprofit. So what have been some of the wins on a business level that you can attribute to implementing this notion of purpose within, within the company? Absolutely. Thank you for the question. I go back about two years ago, and we were introduced to a new air quality technology. And I've become quite passionate about the well building standard, which a lot of your viewers are probably familiar with. And really, we we have an estimator here who's well certified now and really kind of taking to heart and, and figuring out so much of my early career was focused on payback. And when you start to look at what does enhancing the human capital in your business do for, for the bottom line and the profitability of your company? And there's a couple of businesses. C.B. Richard Ellis is one who's been fantastic. They have an amazing study of the impact of transitioning their buildings from perfectly fine buildings, probably lead certified buildings, to well-certified buildings. And so focusing on enhancing that built environment so that you can maximize the human capital. And when you start to look at return on investment, CB Richard Ellis found that they were seeing 7 to 12% bumps in productivity in their office space and from their, from their employees. And so what does 7 to 12% bump in productivity mean for a company like CB Richard Ellis? Millions of dollars probably. And so that's really interesting. So that that sparked a lot of passion for me. And I brought this technology. We have a very fortunate to have a partner, Atmos Air, who is a bipolar ionization manufacturer, which is an indoor air quality, indoor air treatment technology. And we brought it in because we felt it really aligned well. There is an energy savings component, but it really aligned well with being able to focus on that built environment and enhancing that built environment for our customers. And Air quality, as you probably know, is a piece of that well building certification. So that has paid dividends. Unfortunately, I was proven right for all the wrong reasons. Being in the middle of a a global health pandemic now, that education about the options around indoor air quality and starting to talk about and address indoor air quality really paid dividends because all of a sudden a global pandemic hits and and a lot of folks that we had educated about it and and told about the technology came running and and were interested in adopting it. So that just is an example to me of totally not knowing that we were going to have this pandemic where indoor air quality would be totally top of mind, but making that decision because we really felt that it was something that we it, our customers needed and and fit that purpose. So that's been a big win and and we've had a lot of success in that business. That's a great story. And I'll tell you what, the timing of being in that bipolar air ionization space was incredible because I know there are lots of people listening to this episode that 
have been researching that technology related to back-to-work strategies following COVID. Sure. And we try to talk with customers about don't just buy this because of COVID. We, we don't want our customers to be reactionary and, and spend money that doesn't make logical sense. So we really work with people to understand the benefits beyond COVID. The technology does help reduce the spread of coronavirus and neutralize coronavirus, but, but it's so much more important than that for the long term. So God forbid we have another one of these pandemics. We'll have a lot of customers who will be prepared for that. But in the meantime, they will also reap so many benefits from reinvesting in their buildings and reinvesting in their employees. Okay. Thank you for that. It's interesting to hear how you've applied the principles. Jeff, one of the things that really impressed me about your book was, and I don't know if this is an exact percentage or not, but almost half of the book is a workbook. What was your thought process around that? I mean, what, why is so much of the book devoted to helping people actually implement the principles within it? In my prior books, I'd written long, sort of more research-driven books, and I found that today's modern reader enjoys some stories, but they probably don't want all the research. If, if people want the research, please feel free to be in touch with me because we have quite a bit of it. But after I told enough stories, I felt like, okay, you've heard the story about Mod Pizza, seventh generation, Bomba shoes, et cetera. And I tell these stories and I provide the frameworks. How about we show people how to do it? We actually have a one-day workshop product that we sell. And I thought, why not lay it out for people? I'll give it away for free. And for those folks who want to do it by themselves, they can buy the book for a few dollars. And in this case, I'm giving it away. And, and then they get access to the workshop. But I do generate with my team quite a bit of income from folks who don't want to do it for free and they want some help. And so while we've laid it out in the book, we help them work through how do you build a sustainability strategy and how do you connect that sustainability strategy to your financial engine? Because at the end of the day, when I talk about a brand like Seventh Generation, they get a price premium. It's a bucket shelf. And even though they're not as well known as that orange brand, they have to then use some of the money that they're collecting from the consumer to take action for the environment, or the consumer won't reward them with that dollar. Same with Mod Pizza, same with these other brands. So it's coming up with the right business strategy, and we work on that. And, and there are people I know who've gone through and worked on it on their own, and I say, that's awesome. But we have these workshops, and they're fast, right? It's a day. You can decide after that how far you want to go. It makes sense to me, and that certainly explains it. David, how did how did you use the workbook at Biostar? Yeah, well, the workbook was absolutely sort of the launching point for this journey that we've been on to better define and, and execute our purpose. And I really enjoy it. I actually reference back to it fairly often to remind myself and to kind of get in the habit of, of really changing the way that we think about purpose. I've really quite enjoyed it. I particularly enjoyed the archetypes. There's Jeff outlines all these different archetypes of brands. I think that Biostar is a creator and an explorer. I'll let Jeff give feedback if, if he feels differently. But, but I thought that was a really interesting exercise, that particular part. And, and it's actually quite fun to apply those archetypes to your competitors and apply those archetypes to your customers and your prospective customers. So yeah, it's been really helpful for us and it was absolutely the, the launching pad for this journey that we've been on. Great. I'm interested in both your take on this and David, maybe we'll have you start. 
How would each of you suggest someone listening who wants to get started on this journey take the first step to examine and define their their purpose as a, as an enterprise? Yeah, that's a great question, and I think going to your company's mission statement and starting there, and eventually, if you use the workshop, Jeff will encourage you to write a purpose statement, and and certainly. That can be a place to start, but it, it might take a little grinding and a little reading of the book, perhaps, to, to understand how to really start that purpose statement. But that's where I would start and, and go and look at your mission statement and then look at everything that you're doing throughout the course of a day and just see if your mission statement applies to what you're doing and what you're working on and what you're spending time on. And again, we've really been encouraged to kind of look inward and and we've found that it's already paying dividends for us. Excellent. Jeff, what's your take? I think David summarized it really well. What I like to do is try to understand the origin story because sometimes I feel like we get so far removed from why the company was started when we start talking about what, what we do. And there's usually something interesting there. And so if you can get to that secret sauce, why did William Lever start Unilever 150 years ago? Well, because people didn't have soap. And he wanted ordinary people to be able to be more clean. It's like, okay, there's an origin story. You can choose to walk away from it. But I mean, I think David's right. You got to look inward. It's got to be true to who you are. It's the things he described. I think part of what we do when we, when we do these assessments is help people sometimes spot things that they wouldn't see otherwise as opportunities. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I have a good idea of what our origin story is, but I'm definitely going to be defining it after this episode. So thank you for that. And we're in the first inning of this. If this was a baseball game, we are literally in the first inning. There aren't rules for how to measure all this. There aren't all the things in place. When I say it's in the first inning, that means there are going to be some big winners that are little companies now that come along and help figure that out. Well, I think that makes sense. And I like that baseball analogy. We've covered a lot of ground here relative to people getting started. What are companies doing today? Let's look into the future a little bit. Jeff, maybe we'll start with you. Once everyone's read your book and applied the principles, how will companies further use the, the notion of purpose to differentiate themselves even further? I think enlightened leaders want to create an environment where they attract and retain talent, where it's not all about them and where they can build scale because they've been able to do that. And so I think what we're going to see more and more is companies aren't going to just focus on purpose and sustainability because there's a business reason from an external standpoint. But as David talked about looking inward, pre-COVID, unemployment was ridiculously low pre-COVID. And so how do I attract and retain talent? Some of it's going to be the values of that company. I think more and more companies are going to start to think about all this through a very holistic 360 lens. And David, you get to have the last word. Tell us about what, what's next at Biostar in this regard. How do you see the company building on the work you've already done related to your commitment to purpose? Sure. I actually want to go back to two thoughts, both from Jeff in this conversation. One being from a hiring standpoint, we've really added that P to the hiring stand. Point, and we've already seen sort of out of luck, frankly, even before we were really talking about this and, and actively defining and searching for our purpose, 
we've seen and been fortunate to have employees that work for us today who really were attracted to our business because of what we do. And that isn't the only reason that you should hire someone. It helped that they were qualified and more than qualified to do their jobs. But we're seeing where having that internal culture and having that really passion about what we're doing is making a big difference in our organization. And so that's been really neat. The other thing that's particularly exciting, and again, Jeff referenced this just a few moments ago, there is a a massive influx of capital coming into the waste to energy and the renewable energy space. And so Biostar has been very fortunate to have been able to build our company using an existing customer base and sort of a nice network of referrals and using our own capital. But I definitely see a day where some of our projects like our waste to energy and fertilizer, as an example, and even our solar platform are going to be able to leverage incoming capital that is is really thirsty for green projects to really scale our business. And so we think that we're still early in our journey to be a turnkey renewable energy developer and asset manager. And we don't feel like we've hit full scale yet, which is really, really exciting, a bit nerve wracking, but but also really exciting because we think there's going to be tremendous growth in this industry and in the waste to energy industry and all the things we've talked about today, which will inevitably benefit our company. So hopefully we will be one of those big winners that that Jeff mentioned a couple minutes ago, all while doing the right thing and and creating a more sustainable earth. Well, we're going to look forward to uh, following you, David, and, and the company at Smart Energy Decisions. And we wish you well. I'd like to thank the both of you, Jeff and David. Thank you both for your time and sharing your insights on the topic. Jeff, special thanks to you for making an offer to our listeners to get a free copy of your book, The Purpose Advantage. Our listeners will be able to access that in the show notes of this episode. So thank you both. And Jeff, thanks for making that copy of your book available to our listeners today. Thank you, John. Yeah, we really appreciate Smart Energy Decisions also. You you all do a fantastic job and I love your emails. You've become one of my go-to sources for, for industry news. So I, I appreciate that. Thank you for having us. Well, it's my pleasure and thank you for those kind words. We've got to get to our origin story next. I'm inspired, Jeff. To our listeners, we hope this conversation has inspired you to take a deeper look at your company's connection to purpose. Thanks for engaging with our content and being a part of the Smart Energy Decisions community. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to the podcast and tell your colleagues about it. Good luck in your ongoing journey to make smart energy decisions. I'm John Fiella. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast. Digest the insights from today's episode and take action on the ideas that have inspired you. Join us every Friday for conversations with smart energy leaders. We also invite you to check out another SED podcast, Beyond the Meter. Each episode of Beyond the Meter features innovative energy projects and initiatives by large electric power users. 
And to keep up to date with trends and happenings in the energy transition, visit SmartEnergyDecisions.com to register for our daily newsletter and become part of the Smart Energy Decisions community.